Hi, and welcome to the Bookkeepers podcast. I'm Zoe Whitman. I am somewhere on the motorway, and I'm joined by Joe Wood in Kent, and we're here today with Carl Reader. Um, thanks for joining us for the podcast today. The best place to connect with us, if you haven't already, is in our Facebook group, which is called the Six Figure Bookkeepers Club. Um, but I think, the, well, let's just start by saying hi to Carl. How are you? Hey, I'm really good. Zoe, Joe, thank you so much for inviting me onto your podcast. Really looking forward to this one. Oh, no, yes. thank you for taking the time out to talk to us. How are you doing, Joe? Yeah, I'm good. Other than technology today, the sun is shining. It has stopped raining in Kent for five minutes, which is amazing. And um, yeah, I reckon it's all it's all of the clouds that are making um, making my technology mess up. But no, I'm really excited about today because Carl, I've followed you for a while, like, you know, like stalkerish. No, in, a, in a good and, way, I hope. In a good way. And I always love listening to what you've got to say because you say it how it is and you don't hold back. And um, and we, we're a little bit of a softer approach, aren't we, Zoe? But sometimes it's good to hear um, hear it not as softly, softly, because sometimes we need to listen and really take action and do what we're being told to do. And I think you're going to really help our group and our listeners uh, to do that today. And you've just brought out a new book. I have. I have. So I've just brought out Bosset, which I've conveniently got a copy here, um, Control Your Time, Your Income and Your Life, which really of October in the UK and is releasing 27th October globally. So exciting times at the moment. Oh, that's so cool. Um, Carl, I'm, so I'm aware of you through our sort of extended ACCA network and I know that you support lots of businesses and obviously this is your third book. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about who you are and your background before you, well, yeah, how yeah, you got into the accountancy world? Yeah, sure. So I'll talk about my favourite subject. Um, so I, I was actually very much an accidental accountant. So um, I guess I had a very different path to many, um, which is why I um, ended up going down the AAT ACCA route. But I left school at the age of 15. And it's actually at the age of 15 and three quarters, when you got national insurance card, I was like, right, I'm getting out of here. And I started addressing and it really didn't work out. So I had to go back to school, get my GCSEs, which were dreadful because I'd missed um, at least a term of study and had to work out what I was going to do with myself. So I applied for every job in the newspapers and ended up quite literally falling into accountancy. So I went for three interviews, two at the army, uh, sorry, one at the army, two at accountancy firms. And <laughs> quite different was, one, like just go for anything. <laughs> This was it. Honestly, it was alphabetical order. And um, the army, it was actually, it was an office job, but you needed to pass the physical fitness tests and be able to serve if you were called up. And I was actually underweight at the time, believe it or not. So I've, I've never been told I've been underweight since. Um, so I didn't get in the army, but I got offered both accounting jobs. And I had no idea what an accountant did. I had no idea what their purpose in life was, what we were supposed to do. And I also had no idea that for me as an individual accountancy wasn't the right way forwards um but anyway i i dropped into accountancy realized pretty early on that i preferred speaking to people rather than adding up numbers and doing the books so um started off going out meeting clients ended up moving through sort of training consultancy sales marketing building up a team um bought out the business i was working for um we scaled that up so that's dnt um, scaled that from a team of eight through to a team of 60, multi-million turnover now. 
and um, I've done a few other bits along the way as well. So as you, as you mentioned, Zoe, written the books. Um, so my first book was The Startup Coach, then wrote Franchising Handbook and now Boss It. Um, I've appeared in every national newspaper apart from the Sunday Sport, and I'm hoping I don't get selected for that one. Um, <laughs> and yeah, really just like to make a noise because what, one of the things that really frustrated me along the way was that there's a load of people out there who try to overcomplicate business just so that they can sell an expensive solution. And it's something that I've been banging my head against the wall because actually we all know business is really simple. And I think that we as finance professionals have got a duty to help our clients and our contacts understand. But it's simple, it's hard work and we can we can make the finances easy for them. There's other people who can make other bits of a business easy for them so they can just get on running their business rather than falling for get-rich-quick schemes and so on. So now that's pretty much my life mission, I guess. Wow. What a journey. That is so that is so cool. And that's so similar to some parts of mine as well, because I went into retail, realised that wasn't for me. And then I was like, I don't know what I want to do. And a careers advisor said, try accountancy. And I did it. And I was exactly the same as you. I'm here. I'm working 40 hours a week. And I have no idea what the purpose of this place is. And it did exactly that. Everyone was overcomplicating things and everyone was just talking waffle and I still hear it now. Um, I hey, Joe, a- Joe can, I let you into a, can I let you into a secret that's not going to win me any friends? But I'm okay. going to say it anyway. The geeks who start studying accountancy at the age of seven and they do it at GCSE and then go into accountancy A-levels, accountancy degrees, um, they work for a big four auditor and they stay doing audit all of their life. They're the least interesting people to be around. So don't don't worry about falling into it by accident. <laughs> absolutely. It's, it's a good sign. Yeah, absolutely. And and what you said about speaking to people. So my favorite bit was I used to be sent out as an audit senior and oh my, my god, auditing, you know, ugh. but I loved talking to the people in the business. So I used to have to go and see this department and talk to them and say, Well, what is it you do? Okay, so let's let's see if what you've said is actually happening and finding out the errors and things like that. But trying to find solutions and talking to people is definitely what we want to do. And this is where I think bookkeepers have the advantage over accountants because and I tell you why, because we we don't overcomplicate things we naturally lots of us are parents lots of us have come into this as a second career so i started off in accountancy had children and decided straight away the bookkeeping was the route i wanted to go first because i knew it meant i'd be inside a business and i, I wanted to know what was going on that make that just fills me up i want to and i want to help people and that's what bookkeepers want to do and we don't like the jargon ourselves so we naturally mm push it away and find easier ways of explaining things. So I I love what you're saying there. And boss it is about controlling your income and your time. And these are two things that bookkeepers struggle with. Firstly, because they never see that they're worth as much as they are. We struggle with imposter syndrome, just comes with the job with us, with us bookkeepers. And um and time is because usually when we start out in bookkeeping, it might be a second income in the family so we might be juggling well sometimes we're juggling another job because we want to leave that job and we think bookkeeping is a good idea and we're studying as well as 
doing bookkeeping or we've got three kids or two kids whatever and we're trying to do it around um around the family and the other thing we do is we easily give up our time to clients that maybe don't warrant it but we give too much of ourselves because that's just the nature of how we are so have you ever found it difficult did you find it difficult with your income and time at the beginning to find those boundaries no because i'm lazy um <laughs> let me let me answer that let me answer that more fully um so I, I, I first of all want to pick up on um, one of the first comments that you made about the fact that accountancies, uh, accountants have a tendency to overcomplicate compared to bookkeepers. And I think you're spot on. And I really wanted to shine a bit of a light on that. And um, I guess share what the uh, most important word in my vocabulary was in the early days, um, which was why. And I used to ask business owners, why do you do this? Why do you do that? And something I've noticed as a difference between accountants and bookkeepers is the ability to demonstrate a vulnerability and a lack of knowledge as well. So accountants typically, and not, not every accountant, um, but normally the worst accountants are afraid to share that they don't know the answer. And mm -hmm. bookkeepers are far more open to asking the probing questions that will um, actually help them help their clients. So... One of the most useful phrases that I used to use when going out to meet clients in the, in the first instance was to say, why do you do this? Why do you do that? And I remember quite clearly going out to an offer license and I asked them, why don't you buy your stock from the supermarket? Now, I had no idea it was because they couldn't buy the quantity that they needed from a supermarket. So that's why they had to go to cash and carry, even though cash and carry is more expensive. Um, but had I never asked them that, I'd have never known that answer. And it sounds really obvious when I say it. But there's thousands of questions like that that I asked along the way, which lead you as a bookkeeper or as an accountant, or in fact, as any financial professional, if, you, if you're vulnerable enough to ask those questions and demonstrate where you don't know, pretty soon you do know. And you've got the um, cum cumulative experience of dealing with thousands of different people and asking the simple questions. Um, to answer your question more directly, so I just wanted to pull that bit out, Joe, because I think that's really... Um, really important and it's a real strength that bookkeepers in particular have got compared to accountants um in respect of controlling time and income you asked um has it ever been a challenge for me I've, i think it always is a challenge because one of the things that we can't change in the world is the 24 hours that we've got each day and as much as i'd love to add an extra hour and that's not something i can do but what i can do is choose what i do within those hours and I can choose how I best spend my time. Now, I jokingly responded at the start, no, because I'm lazy. But there's there's actually an element, uh, yeah, there's a dash of truth in there. But pretty early on, um, I decided, so I'm guessing about the age of 23, um, I decided to go to a um, pretty much a commission-only basis, uh, how I worked with the firm that I was at. So I... Um, trying to think of the best way to to word this without sounding like a complete tear away um but i i had a child very early so um my eldest son is now 22 um i was very very young when i had him so i'd have i i'd a family to look after i had to um i had to pay the bills and couldn't do it on a trainee accountant's wages so the deal that we did was that i'd go out i'd get work i'd keep work and i'd just have a percentage of my portfolio 
So very early on, I was, even though I was in, in an employed role at that stage, I was able to motivate myself as a business owner. So the actions that I took, and I guess the steps that I took to make sure that I wasn't overcommitting myself just to pay the bills, was that firstly, I focused on what brought in money. And by being very you know, razor sharp on what brings in money, it was getting clients and keeping clients. That was it. You know, the nuances of, um, you know, trying to find the last penny in a set of accounts or whatever was irrelevant in the nicest possible way. Um, actually, the job had to be done on a fit for purpose basis. It had to, you know, it, work had to be done correctly. But actually, the important stuff was getting clients and keeping clients. So I had that focus. And secondly, I was a ruthless delegator. Um, I guess I had the luxury that not many others do. That I had a team around me. Um, but I made sure that I was crystal clear on delegating everything that possibly could be delegated rather than just the stuff I didn't want to do or the stuff that um, I felt should be delegated. Um, so what did that involve? That involved, first of all, getting over my own ego, because we all like to think that we are the ones, you know, we are the only ones who can do it. We're the only ones that the clients want to speak to. Brutal reality check, we're not. And often what we perceive as finance professionals as being something special or a real value add, our clients unfortunately still see as a transactional service. We can spin that to an opportunity by um, delegating the stuff that people see as a transactional process and um, leveraging a team rather than doing it ourselves. And I focused on um, Stephen Covey. So I, I don't know if you've heard of Stephen R. Covey, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And I focused on the time management quadrants. So I've, I made sure that I had an active focus on stuff that was important but not urgent. Because mm. the stuff that's important and urgent, we always have to drop everything to do straight away. That's for stuff like the fire alarm going off. And we know that we're going to be in a burning house if we don't get out quickly. So we get out. What we as finance professionals often do is we focus on the urgent but not important. So the phone's ringing, emails are coming through and so on. It's it might be important to someone else and it's urgent because there's a notification, but is it truly important to us? So instead I focused on the stuff that's important, but not urgent. So what could I do to systemize my business, to scale my business, to find new clients and so on, the stuff that nobody was cracking a whip over me to do, but actually by doing that stuff, it helps reduce the occurrence of the quadrant three, which is the not important, but urgent. So, so yeah, that's a bit of a mishmash, I guess, of some of the stuff that I did along the way. Wow. So, yeah, I absolutely love that. Being it is called Q2 and, you know, focusing on that and making sure that we're working on that stuff. And that's what we, we try and say um, to all our bookkeepers. And, uh, you know, I, I said the other day, I can't remember the exact quote, but someone said that they had written it down. But if you start focusing more on your own business and what that needs you know you'll make more money but also you will be such you'll make more money help your clients make more money because if your service is delivering what what your clients need you know and that retention of clients is so important what you said because yeah we can go out all day long and say well some people can i'm i'm like i can you know i i like talking to people i find it easy to market the services but only if we can deliver because there's nothing more I get like a gut wrenching feel when someone if someone's disappointed in something but I've turned that around over the years 
because I used to feel like a failure and oh my goodness and try and patch things up and like quickly that firefighting thing that we all find out but now I see every time that something goes wrong I see it as an opportunity to make sure it never goes wrong again so what happened definitely definitely so um i've just noticed we've got some facebook comments coming in i don't know if you'll see them on the mobile joe so hello to facebook user whoever that is and what's the topic Uh, basically you guys have got me for as long as you need and i can answer any questions and i can talk for england so um, that's the topic um joe you mentioned about um looking after your own business every finance professional whether you are a um you know, a sole operator, bookkeeper, right the way through to a big four firm of accountants, you need to focus on your own business being the most important client of your business. Because if you don't, the, the challenge that you have is you give all of your energy and all of yourself to the clients that you're serving. And pretty soon you run out of energy, you run out of time, you run out of uh, motivation. So you're not um, particularly engaged to help them. And what's worse is that your business will die as well because you won't be paying attention to your own business. Instead, you'll be paying so much attention to everyone else, but you'll neglect to look after actually the core of what helps those clients. So you absolutely have to look after your own business as number one. It sounds ruthless and it sounds greedy, but it's the only way that you can then truly serve your client base as well. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I tell everyone in, you know, that's in our six figure bookkeepers club, you know, I'm very honest and I'm very vulnerable because I want to help people. But the practice I'm running now is my fifth practice because I have failed. Wow. Okay. I've not been, I've not done very good job in the past, but what I have done is I've learned every single time what I was doing wrong. And, you know, I started off when I was 21 and I had a three week old baby and I thought bookkeeping. Well, I'm a part qualified accountant. That's easy. And then I tried to do CIS, but I'd never done it before. So I got the sack. And then I went into um, I had another one. I thought I needed a business partner. You know, maybe I'm not good enough. I need a business partner. And actually, he did. He knew nothing about accountancy. He just saw me as a bit of a, you know, gravy. But I don't. I say all the wrong sayings. I'm not going to say that. So anyway, <laughs> I, won't, I won't pick them out. Don't worry, Joe. <laughs> I said, get them all wrapped around my head. Anyway, he, he, he said, I'm going to do the sales. You do the work. He didn't bring in one client. And because no one was focusing on the sales, the business died. And then I mm. went into um, business with a large accountancy firm. They saw that actually my, you know, I was the best salesperson. I could sell the service. So I stopped working on on in the business and start just doing the sales and the marketing but the problem was the partnership i had with the accountancy firm then was that the accountancy firm were bringing in whatever type of clients that they wanted to bring in and they were focused just on fees they weren't focused on trying to streamline the service and make it so i ended up with all different types of clients which meant that my team of 14 bookkeepers at the time were spread so thinly and we were using all the different softwares all the different Mm. types of tax issues that we had coming up so we couldn't provide a streamer service so that that failed and then the next one failed but but for good good reason because i went to my first client and then they ended up employing me as their finance director and what happened was because i was able to focus on one client i've never done that before just had one client and they were on the point of like going under and in two years i helped them to have a net profit of a million pound and I was able to focus and I'd figured out exactly what I needed to do. So then fifth when and then they made me redundant, Carl. It's not been a it's not been a great journey. But 
this time round, I took all everything that I'd learned, and in April 2019, I set this business up, and I knew that I had to be my best, my the best client I had. My cash flow forecast had to be done before anyone else's. My tax return yeah. had to be done before anyone else's. And I have built a six-figure bookkeeping company from my living room in under 12 months. And as I did it, I wrote everything that I was doing along the way. And this is why we've got the course that we've got. Because now I figured it out in the time I've been, I've done so much personal development. And that's the other thing. You have to work on yourself. And like Stephen Covey, absolutely. And, and you're yeah, trying stuff absolutely you need to need to work on this is spot on this is so spot on because um one of the challenges i see with um many um finance services um businesses accountants bookkeepers and so on is uh, yeah great examples tech yeah they focus on the tech for their clients so they sign up for the zero licenses and they sign up for the seat bank and they sign up for this that and the other but they don't actually look at the tech for their own business (laughs) and whilst they help their clients get incredibly automated and actually do themselves out of work they don't focus on managing and monitoring what's going on in their own business which is held together by post-it notes and spreadsheets and um you know carrier bags on shelves and so on it's just it's unbelievable so um if it it resonates so much what you're saying with what i see but what a fantastic journey you've been on as well growing six figures in 12 months that's phenomenal growth yeah, it is, but it's and and I'm like in a bit of like, wow, how did I do it? And and I did it because I was ex- exactly what you said. My business is a slick operating machine. Um, I've got one of my members of my team here sitting at my kitchen table at the moment, and today on a Wednesday is our day where we we don't do the work. We work on the business. We work on our systems. We check. Today, we've been talking about how we can um, wow the clients more with communication. What what do our clients need from us? I've just done a meeting with a client and we gave her a Futurely board. And um, she was like, she, she she they just love looking at the different things. But it's, we always focus on our business first. So my business is the first one to get any new technology. I implement it first. If I don't like it, it doesn't go to clients. And if I love it, it's 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 put out to the clients. But, you know, how do we match? So you said about your focusing on the hours in the day and making sure that you are you are staying focused. How do you, so you choose the things that are in, important and not urgent. But if you think of a bookkeeper now, I know what the kind of things that I'm I'm working on and you know you for you find it quite easy to do the sales thing how do you how do you work on the stuff that is important and not urgent but sometimes gives you that icky feeling that like oh you know I don't really I know I've got to do this. I hear this all the time in the bookkeepers group I know I've got to like get out there on social media or I've got to like talk to people but I get a bit how how do people overcome that and what's stopping them Okay, so there's um, there's two elements to that, and I'm not really qualified to talk about one of them. So one one of the challenges that finance professionals have is that the personality types that are typically attracted to accounting and bookkeeping aren't usually the uh, the um, personality types that are happy to be out there and communicative and um, you know share it warts and all and and be the, the go-to person, whether in a face-to-face or a virtual networking environment. 
Now, the challenge I've got is I am probably, I guess, the polar opposite of where many accountants are in that from a personality perspective, I'm high D, high I on disc profile. So high dominance, high influence and Myers-Briggs ENFP. Um, you know, both of those, if I was to be pers- if, if I was to be personality profile before getting my job, if that was a thing back then, they would have kicked me out of the door before I started. <laughs> so I'm unfortunately there's um there's an element of this which is i guess um personality based and i'm probably not best qualified to comment on that because my view is just go there and do it because it comes easy to me um on the flip side i find it far easier to stand up on stage and speak to an audience of a thousand people than to sit down and do some bookkeeping or even file my own tax returns so from that side of things um I guess my my personality and where I'm at and, and what's comfortable for me means that it's very hard for me to empathise and advise on, on that side of it. However, there's been also the time management side of it. How do you how do you how do you allocate time and how do you keep up the focus and the motivation on things that don't particularly excite you? So um moving the personality to one side and look at what is it that really um, fires you on and drives you. The challenge you've got when you're a business owner, and I explore it in my book, is that you need to, um, certainly in the early days and as you're scaling up, you need to really focus on being all different parts of a business. So Michael E. Gerber in VMIF Revisited talks about entrepreneur, manager, technician. Now, um, my aim with Bosset is to be the new EMIF, basically, because I think it's 20 years out of date and the content is dreadful. You know, if you read the content nowadays, we all as accountants say to our clients, read this book. Well, you should be saying read this book um, because it is it's so far out of date now. Um, But the entrepreneur manager technician profiling is still very relevant. And the challenge you've got as a business owner is that for a successful business to run, you need to dream, plan, do, review. Now, the dream is the entrepreneurial job. The plan is the manager's job. The do is the technician's job. So when it comes to creating a bookkeeping business, for example, the dreaming will be, you know, if you're dreaming about having a team of 30 bookkeepers and maybe spread across your geographical region, maybe you want to cover the whole of the southeast, that's the dreaming stage. But then very quickly, you need to bring that down to spreadsheets and business plans and conversations with the banks and so on about do you need a business loan and all of this. And that's very managerial and it's tactical and it's working out, um, well, when do I recruit this person and what you know, what level of work do I need? What capacity will we have? How will we manage them? How will we motivate them? And then before long, you know what? You've got to pay the bills. You've actually got to do some bookkeeping yourself, which is the technician side. But then the review stage, which is the most important stage, holds every single bit of your personality accountable. It holds your entrepreneur, it holds your manager, it holds your technician accountable. So when running a business, you need to... Um, I think except certainly in the early days, but a lot of this stuff is outside of your own comfort zone because we've all got bits of those. Yeah, we're all made up like um, I guess like a recipe. We've all we've all got our own recipe of um, you know maybe a dash of entrepreneurialism and uh, maybe two cups of managerial and one cup of technician. Um, I'm certainly not two cups of managerial. I'm a dreadful manager. Anyone who's worked for me would say that, but. We've all got our own unique mix and we've got a bit of each of them, but we need to understand what that mix is, how we're made up as individuals 
and then I guess play to our strengths, but also be really mindful of our own weaknesses and work around them in the early days. And then as we scale up, we can um, do the wonderful thing of employing people to do that stuff for us. But that's not possible in the early days. No. And that's what I was going to say to you. You know, those things that are difficult or not our strengths. I mean, we always say, say to our clients, you know, you didn't go into business to be a bookkeeper or finance expert. You know, you need to outsource this. Mm. I do find the same as you, like with managing, um, like checking and ticking and going through all those bits. And oh, I just, I'm not, I'm, I'm more of a, I like to just be in flow. I don't want to tick boxes and stuff. And I get told yeah. off because I'm not very good at it. But it's okay to, as long as you understand the process. And I always say, I, you need to have done it first. I think, and I think it makes you a better business owner. If, you know, I started off and it was just me and now there's a team of five. So that's fine. I've, and I've, you know, realised which bits are not my strength. Like payroll is not my strength. I, you know, my husband does that. And, um, you know, um, be like writing emails and and keeping up all that communication or, you know, writing blog posts. I, I write a blog post when it comes to me, but don't tell me I've got to do it three times a week or something because it's never going to happen. Yeah. But let me just do it as and when. So I, I, and it's fine to outsource, but you need to understand really that exact what you want from the outcome when you're outsourcing absolutely and i i, I don't I, so i'd contend i don't necessarily think you need to do the doing but you do need to wear a couple of hats so you need to wear the hat of the business owner so where do you want your business to be as you say so what is that dream what is it that you're trying to achieve but broken down to um what are the benefits that your team are going to achieve, your um, customers and so on? So that's a bit of stakeholder analysis, and that's a really boring phrase. The phrase um, we use at DNT is for five stars. Um, so we have a star-shaped diagram. It's really gimmicky, but team at the top. Then we have um, the partners that we work with, which is our clients, and the markets that we serve, and they're on equal levels. Um, and then we have the industry that we work within in our local community. So that's how we um, map out our stakeholders. So you need to understand what your stakeholders want, um, what you as a business owner want and so on. But you also need to really nail down your USP and product market fit as well. Now, that sounds like business jargon. What I mean by those is what do you do? How do you do it differently from everyone else? And will customers buy from you, basically? Um and that stuff is the stuff that you need to be absolutely obsessed by because the moment that that stuff becomes a bit weaker, then actually you're just compared to another bookkeeper. And the challenge that bookkeepers have is that unfortunately you're starting from a very low place in most business owners' minds. Mm-hmm. Even though what you can deliver is way up here, the business owner sees you down here as a transaction. Mm-hmm. And you you need to find a way to persuade them that, Look, if you want it down here, you could send it to India to an offshore agency and pay £5 an hour. Mm -hmm. Um, But actually, this is why we're up here. Mm -hmm. So that then comes down to what is it that you do as a bookkeeper that is different and really becomes a no-brainer for everyone? So I guess to share um, what we've done at D&T in the franchising market, we've, we've built around our proposition. So it's not just accounting and tax. We've also do funding, which then feeds in the business plans to then do advisory. Um, We've built our own benchmarking tool that the data sucks in. Um, So we've got three and a half thousand franchisees across the country where we suck in all of their data, analyze it and benchmark network performance. So if we take on 
let's say a new um i don't know squires coffee or subway or, or one of the brands we work with we can then compare how that location does to every other location anonymously so we we found a unique hook and um there's no one in the country that can take that from us so likewise with um with bookkeeping what, what you got to think about is what's your unique hook and it could be as simple as this you know we've all had decorators come around our house that have not arrived on time, they've left a bit of a mess and they've had the radio on too loud and so on. Your unique hook could be as simple as you wear those little plastic things that go over your shoes and you guarantee that you clean up after yourself and that you won't smell a cigarette smoke. That could be your hook. Um, there will be a target market for that in the same way there's a target market for doing it 50 quid cheaper than anyone else. Mm-hmm. It's about defining where you stand and I think with the way that the world is going nowadays, um, I talk about the automation matrix, which is, um, you know, everything's being automated. We, we used to talk about Michael Porter, cost leadership, so being cheap and cheerful versus product differentiation. The cheap and cheerful is going to be taken by the likes of Tesco's. We can't compete at that level in general. Um, any small business cannot compete at that level. So we need to look at what we can offer that's different. Is it interpersonal skills or is it specialist skills? And the typing of numbers onto a keyboard, whether you're a bookkeeper, accountant, whatever you are, that's not a specialist skill. Uh And that doesn't involve interpersonal skills. Um, Somebody with the interpersonal skills in the nicest possible way of a McDonald's worker who grunts at you as you order your Big Mac, they will do, you know, they can do the tapping in on a keyboard from that perspective um you know there's no interpersonal communication required in that role the value comes in when we can offer specialist advice which is dedicated to the business owner's industry or the type of business owner that it is or the interpersonal advice that you get through a human to human connection that simply doesn't come about from a keyboard or a website or an online profile so it's um I can't remember what question started me off on this tangent, Joe. So I do apologise, but it's about setting yourself apart. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, and and this is this is what I you know I did, but a bit accidentally because we talk a lot about you know talk about niching, but I was explaining to someone the other day that just because someone's in your niche doesn't mean that they're your ideal client. Absolutely, you can have you know, and you have so you have franchisees, but. If they are, if so, I very much decided I had something that I, so I used to work in lots of traditional businesses. As I said, the accountancy firm would give us this work, and I could end up finding myself being that low level bookkeeper in the corner of an office. No one wanted to talk to me. I was just sit, sitting there with a pile of paperwork, and I didn't want to do that anymore. And it just so happened that lots of the guys that run businesses that were, I was working for were called Dave. So I, I had like this mantra no more Daves. And that's like, made, realize that I don't I, I know when I say that I know exactly what that client used to how they used to make me feel so I started yeah. putting in my branding and things that you know it was it was professional but a bit more feminine and friendly um and hopefully people would be willing to like have a chat and talk to me I wanted and, to have and like, this is so this is so important and where so many um finance professionals get it wrong that they feel that they can't turn away work and they feel that they have to be experts in SMEs and small businesses, which is 99.99% of businesses out there. Um, The reality is you absolutely have to have a niche to succeed. 
Um, don't accept that rubbish that's out there that you shouldn't niche. You absolutely should niche. The difference is the definition of niche is often confused. So first of all, niching is considered to be an industry. And secondly, niching is considered to be for marketing purposes only. And both of those are incorrect. So um, one of the things I talk about in the book is about designing your customer avatar, which does include what industry they're in. But also, you need to ask yourself questions. And it sounds like it breaches all discrimination laws, but it really doesn't. It's about get, getting into the psyche of your ideal customer. Uh, you know, what's their name? Where did they go to school? Where do they live? What car do they drive? Um, where do they go on holiday? What food would they order when they eat out? Um, and then perhaps some more, you know, what credit card would they hold? Where would they do their shopping? And really define who your ideal customer looks like as an individual. And what that allows you to do is it allows you to tap into how they make their buying decisions who they like to work with. And ultimately, it allows you to find people that would naturally fall within your tribe rather than someone else's. Because we've all got those people we don't want to work with. And one of the very few advantages of self-employment is that you can choose who you work with. Because when you're employed, you can start at nine, you can finish at five, you can close your laptop on a Friday evening and not worry about it if you don't want to. Many of us still do, but you can close your laptop and not worry about it. But... There is often one or two clients that you just cannot bear to work with. There might be an ethical conflict. You know, you don't agree with how they live their life or you don't like the way they speak to you or your team members and so on. And you're relatively powerless to control that. As a self-employed person, as we know, you work 18 hours a day. Um, you never go on holiday because you've always got your mobile with you. That's that's part of the downsides of self-employment. But on the flip side, you can choose who you answer on your phone to. And by designing that ideal customer avatar, so working out what industry they're in, working out exactly what the people look like, but also working out what that relationship's going to be like as well. Is it going to be a transactional relationship or is it going to be a relationship of equals? Is it going to be um, you know, client and um, advisor with the advisor up here? Is it going to be master and servant with the bookkeeper down here? Or are you going to be equal and supportive business partners? That stuff, it, and it takes some time to do it, and it takes some breaking out of comfort zones and perhaps where you're used to working with your businesses. But actually, when you do that, it gives you a real sense of empowerment, and um, it then allows you to get amazing results because something magical happens, Joe. When you, when you really care for the people that you work with, you, know, you don't just care for the pounds in the bank at the end of the month, but when you truly care for the people, then you really want to help them succeed as well. And that's when the magic happens. Absolutely. And and I and, and like I say, I fell into this, but now I can now teach it because I knew the kind of I knew about ideal client avatars, but I didn't know the and like you say, it sometimes gets um mixed up with industry. But one of the things I wanted was someone that was really nervous, really nervous about their numbers, want, buried their heads in the sand, didn't understand it. And I wanted to turn it around. I wanted to teach them, hold their hand and, and make them know that, that numbers isn't that scary. And the amount of times I hear, oh, my God, I flunked maths and I, I can't do numbers. It just scares me. And then I get excited. I'm like, I know I can help you through this. And what a difference that's going to make to someone's life. The other thing. Oh, it's amazing. What a, what a sales pitch. I mean, you you can sell yourself as the sleeping pill for entrepreneurs who stay up at night worrying about tax. Yeah, 
love it. Honestly, honestly, that is an amazing elevator pitch. It's an amazing differentiator because you know, we often look at what we do and who we do it for. But the key is joining those dots and finding that special something that no one else can deliver. And believe it or not, most business owners are scared of their bookkeeper. And they're scared of their accountant because they're scared of the numbers. Yeah, absolutely. So. The other thing I, I decided was that I had to want to be their Facebook friend. Like that mm. would, if I didn't want them as a Facebook friend, then they're not going to be a client of mine. So all my clients are my Facebook friends. I've got a Facebook but group. Joe, you've added me. No, I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 some, and the people like in the industry before, I can just hit that they're like, what? And some of the bookkeepers in the group, they're like, Oh, I wouldn't do that. And I'm like, yeah, because you haven't got the right, in my eyes. Now, you might not want that kind of relationship. And I completely get that. But for me, I want, how amazing. I spend all day on Zoom calls with friends who I help make more money. And they love me. And this is, a really, this is a really important point. Um, when you run your own business, but unfortunately, the work-life separation that you enjoy as an employee doesn't exist anymore. And... I, particularly with social media i mean i found that as i've grown as i grew my social media profile it became really tricky because i started having um clients adding me on facebook and you know there was one that came through as an ex-client but was also a personal friend and a co-director in another business so i accepted him and then five more came through and it's like this looks really awkward if i don't accept them and what i came to terms with is that and i guess this coming to terms was really important for running the business but also transforming my view on business was coming to terms with the fact that work carl and personal carl are actually the same people and once you can get that equilibrium sorted and you can you can get to a point where what you say in public is the same as what you'd say in private and what you'd wear at monday at 9am is the same as what you'd wear on saturday at lunchtime and the way that you act in a work environment is the same that you act in a personal environment. And all this stuff, once it all um, combines, actually work becomes a pleasure and it becomes more like a constant play and a constant work. Um, but it, it doesn't feel like work. It feels so much um, easier. You feel so much more empowered. And yeah. I, I think breaking that um, perception that you need to be somebody else when you work if you if you can break that within yourself, it's the biggest stress reliever that you can have in your life. Absolutely. And how much more authentic do you come across? Because you are being your true self. And, and this is like, you don't need to go on any authenticity course or any personal branding course or anything like that. Because you can just be yourself. And if your client, if you, if you fear that your clients won't like what you put on social media then you know what your parents probably don't like what you're putting on and your kids probably don't like what you're putting on and your friends don't like what you're putting on. So that's probably more an indication of don't put that stuff on Facebook. Um, and I think that, yeah, once you, once you just live to who you are rather than what you believe your clients or society or anything else believes you should be, then it just yeah. becomes so easy. It, it really does. It really does. And I, and I do, and and like we say, with the time, like the time pressure that we talk about, if we take away the fact that we are the clients of these, I mean, I used to say, and I used to say this, like running a business would be really lovely if I didn't have clients and staff. Like, and so no wonder what I was like. It would know, be bloody I'm, hard if you don't have clients and staff. 
Exactly. <laughs> It'd be really hard. But I, I had, it, I just had it all wrong. And I always believe that it always comes from you as well. Like this, the culture that mm. you create comes from you and you have to train your clients to this is how I work now I am available all the time um and my husband used to go oh my god you're always doing this but now he doesn't because I say oh god so and so they're struggling about this and he will help out as well because he sees them as he's he actually wants to do so he's always he, he fell into payroll because I made him he got made redundant when and we had our third child so that's when I started sure. with the accountancy firm and I, it built really quick when I had the 14 bookkeepers and I had, and I said, right, you can retrain in payroll. He didn't get a choice. And he still does the payroll for my clients now. And but he said, Joe, you've managed to build a business where I want to be. I actually, I like your clients. They're, they're grateful for what we do. They say, thank you. And um, I just love the calls I have because I just feel like I'm chatting with friends. You know, we, I, I'm the, do you know what? I've been the first one in three occasions to find out that someone was pregnant and one of them was before wow. their husband. <laughs> yeah and that is the i guess that's the ultimate definition of trusted advisor look i think we um we need to remember as finance professionals that um clients open up to us about their deepest darkest secrets you know they tell us about the unpaid tax bills or the cash flow worries and the fact that they they may have a credit card debt and all of this stuff that they don't tell anyone else yeah they they certainly don't go down the pub and boast about this stuff. So often um, we're in a position of trust, but it's our job to really encourage that trust. And you're absolutely right. It comes from culture and it comes from um, having that trusting environment that clients can deal with us in, but also setting the values of how we do business, how we expect our clients to do business. And it changes as the business grows. I mean, one of the biggest challenges for me was when DNT got to about 40, 50 staff, we had to do a resetting of our values. And the reason we did that was because we got to a point where I didn't know some of the staff members' names. And back when it was like 10, 15 staff members, I knew all of their names. I knew their partners' names. I knew where they were going on holiday. I knew all of that stuff. But as the business scaled up, it became more and more distance as we built, could we intentionally built in management tiers? And I was building it with a view to my retirement, which hasn't really hasn't gone well because I'm still doing stuff now. Um, but I've, I stepped away from the business in Feb 2019. So I don't work within D&T anymore. Um, but I just do, I just do loads of other stuff like talking on podcasts and so on. Um, but anyway, through the um, through the building of it, we found that my values weren't necessarily for businesses values. And that was OK, but it was congruent. And in the same way, your clients values might not be identical to your values, but actually, provided they're congruent and they're not conflicting with each other, then that's absolutely fine. But it's about knowing what you're prepared, what you what you want, and you know, what is the ideal, what's the must-have. So it might be integrity and honesty. It might be cheerfulness. So you need to know what the must-haves are, but you also need to know what the absolute must-not-haves are. Um, and once you know what you're not prepared to accept, what you won't tolerate, it makes life so much easier because... I touched on earlier, we've all been in that position where there's one or two clients that we don't like working with. But one of the biggest clients, uh, one of the biggest staff morale tips that I can give anyone who employs bookkeepers, if a client is rude to any of your team members, give them authority to sack them on the spot. And that might sound scary if they're a big client, but your team members are far more valuable than any single client that you can ever have. Absolutely. 
absolutely i love that and i didn't I, in the past i didn't um I didn't give them authority. They came back to me and said, "Oh, because I, I didn't think of that at the time." But straight away, I phoned them up and said, and like disengaged them when she told me what mm. they'd said. And they're all, everyone's sitting around like this, and I'm like, like I see them like my children. I'm like, I wouldn't put up with that. Like I'm like the angry mum of yeah. the school. Game. How dare you do that? It's not. It's not happening. It's not acceptable. But it's it's very tough, especially when you're starting out to have that. But it's something, and I always say this, like sometimes we talk in, you know, on podcasts and things and people be like, oh my goodness, they're so far ahead of where I am. But we've been there and this is something yeah. to have you going forward, you know. Something and you, you've got to do, yeah, the best time to start having that mindset is today. Or in fact, the best time is yesterday. The second best is today. Um, it's much in the same way. Look, if, if somebody was a, let, let's say someone was a drug dealer, you wouldn't work with them because um, I presume you wouldn't. I, I, I don't know. I'm making a presumption there, Joe, but I presume you wouldn't. And you wouldn't work with them because it probably goes against your moral fibres and um, you know, it goes against what you feel is right. Um, so you would, you would refuse to work for them. Now, if you were only working with them because it was the early days in your business and you felt you needed the cash, then actually what, what's going to happen to your business in five, ten years' time? You're going to have a business full of drug dealers that you're working with and the police knocking on your door. So on that basis, why wouldn't you sack a client who's offensive? Um, if it's not a behavior that you're prepared to tolerate, then the finances are pretty much irrelevant. It just means you've got to go out there and find another client. And it's, yeah. it is hard in the early days when you've perhaps just given up your job and you've got your mortgage to pay at the end of the month. It's hard to turn work away. But mm -hmm. the the power that comes within you when you turn the work away and when you make the decision to control your business rather than letting your clients control the business for you, that power will um, permeate in other areas of your business as well. Yeah, it'll give absolutely. you that confidence that but it's you running the show, not your clients. And that shift in your own mind it sounds sounds like semantics, but it's really powerful when it comes to um, growing your business, taking on team members and so on. It's the must have of any business owner. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, and you said, yes, it's hard. It's hard to sack your first client, but you, or sack a client when you're in the early days. But I always say, choose your hard. There's always going to be like, mm. choose your really hard to do a little video on social media, or is it hard to have no income? You know, choose yeah. what, you know, you can you can choose to push through these boundaries um, or you can choose to sit where you are and not grow. And that's really difficult. And I, I to me, I find that more difficult. I find it easy to look at a picture of my kids and say, like, what is it really that hard? Can I do this for them? Yeah, I can. So come on. You know. Yes. This is yeah. it. And it's, it's about having, it's about having that North Star and, and what you focus on. And. Yeah, when it comes to just looping back to the time management, um, the questions that you should always ask when you're looking at an activity is, does this move me closer towards my final goal? And if there's an obstruction, you need to look at things and is this obstructing me from reaching my final goal? If this behavior continues, you know, if this client um, became 10 clients who are acting in the same ways, would this help me or hinder me getting towards my goal? And it almost certainly it will hinder you. Yeah, yeah. It's um. Have you ever watched the the guy from the Olympic uh, boat race? You know, does it make the boat go faster, or will it make the boat go faster? Yes. And I I have will it make the boat go faster in my head as my mantra all the time. You know, so you can make your decisions. You know, should we go to the Olympics opening night and have a few beers? Is that going to make the boat go faster, or should we all go to bed early and race? 
and that kind of exactly. make tiny little decisions all day long and they're the tiny little things that will push you to like bigger success than anything okay so completely going back, Com going back to the book yes. and controlling your income how mm. do you about controlling your income what what pointers can you give because that's something that you know being self-employed sometimes and um, we talk about stop stop charging an hourly rate stop offering monthly packages like a monthly retainer so that you can control your income in that way and that's really helped me um because i used to do timesheets and you know it was just all up hour and it didn't feel it was tra very transactional then i think offering a monthly package becomes more value based which helps but what other ideas have you got for for people in business wow. that are starting out loads loads so i'm going to focus um whilst the book is a general business book um i'm going to focus specifically on accountants and bookkeepers um purely because that let's be honest we're not going to get motor mechanics tuning into your podcast are we not really no <laughs> <laughs> and if any if, if any of the um if any of the viewers or listeners want to help their motor mechanics companies buy this and then they can ask you questions from there anyway um I think that for accountants and bookkeepers, the biggest challenge has been the timesheet. And you're absolutely right. Um, charging by the hour is totally irrelevant because managing a business through timesheets is like, I, this is a saying from a guy called Ron Baker. It's like knowing that your um, cooking is done when the smoke alarm goes off. You only know when it's too late that there's a problem. Yes. Yeah. And you don't want to know that your cookies have, um, yeah, you don't know that your cookies have been overcooked because you've got a loud beeping noise. You actually mm -hmm. want to have a predictive timer. You want to plan it. So um, timesheet's bad. However, as an internal cost management tool, they're one way of managing, but they're um, possibly not the best way. Um, so I think for controlling income, the first thing that you need to do is, and I'm going to say that this is a blatant plug because I act as a product um, ambassador for Practice Ignition. So I'm just going to caveat now, but a revenue management solution is vital of some sorts so that you can manage what your monthly income is coming in, um, what your churn rates are and so on. And you can view it as a business rather than raising invoices after mm -hmm. the event and securing payment at the point of engagement rather than securing payment once you sent an invoice and hoping for the best. So that's <laughs> yeah. my little pitch for PI out the way now. So that, that's that's one thing that you can do. When it comes to digging a bit deeper and looking at how you control your income as a bookkeeping firm, I think that the first thing is to reduce, unfortunately, to reduce your expectations of income. Because in the early days of running any professional services business, we trade time for money. Whether we charge it as timesheets or as fixed fee packages or value billing or whatever method we use, we're exchanging the effort that we put in for mm -hmm. pound notes in our bank account. Yeah. And we actually need to separate ourselves from that equation. And we need to equate the time that is put into the business by the parts of a business, even if you're the only employee, is what brings in income for the business. But our personal income is separate. And we know this logically, but emotionally, it's very hard to wrap our heads around this in the early days. So um, once, we, once we've got our heads around that there needs to be that separation, we can then look at decisions that we make in our business from a business perspective rather than a personal perspective. 
i.e. Mm-hmm. do we need to take on more capacity? Do we need to invest in marketing? And this sounds like the money's going the wrong way because it's going out, but it's actually an investment in the future return of the business. And once we mm-hmm. do that enough, you know what? This business is fairly scalable. I, I know through DNT myself, you know, DNT pays very nice lifestyle without me doing anything in the business. Um, mm-hmm. I haven't turned up to the office for probably, I don't know, 15 months. Um, you know, just, I, I'm not involved at DNT. So it's, it is possible to do it, but yeah. you need to reinvest and not live off of every last penny that comes into the business. We know this as accountants and bookkeepers, but we don't necessarily act on it. Oh my goodness, that's so true. At the beginning, um, at the beginning when I started, I remember my mother-in-law saying, "Oh, have you got any money in the business? Like, so I, we can get some stationery because my mother-in-law, I like working family. Can mm. we get some stationery? Like, no, like I've got nothing. I've taken it all, and yeah. and and." And she said to me, I mean, this is when I was in my early 20s. She was like, you really need to have like a little bit of a fund and stuff in there. And I hadn't made that connection at that point. Um, but now um, I like profit first and I like putting yeah. away. If you first the book. Yeah. And I like. Uh, yeah. So Mike, Mike was actually one of the endorsers on the book. Oh, was he? Oh, amazing. Yes. Amazing. Purchasing this book is a no brainer for anyone in business or thinking of doing their own thing. Wow, that is a great endorsement. Um, but yeah, so the, the profit first method is great. I think that what one of the I guess one of the conflicts that I have in my mind around um around the issue of creating an emergency fund is that often business owners in my experience go one way or the other. They either have pots of cash that they sit on or mm-hmm. they run up to their overdraft limit month after month. Mm-hmm. And there's actually a happy medium in between because mm-hmm. the the other challenge is that business finances aren't the same as personal finances. Mm-hmm. So personal finances, I'm a strong advocate that every business owner should have at least three months of emergency cash put aside. So mm-hmm. what I mean by emergency cash is not what you're taking out of the business, but what you need to spend to keep a roof over your head, keep the lights on, pay the bills, have food in the cupboards, et cetera, et cetera um you know you you absolutely that's for bare minimum what you need personally as a business you need to approach it slightly differently because if you're sat on let's say your comfort is six months and you're sat on six months cash then are you using that money in the best possible way with it being sat in a current account because there's investments that you should be making in your business would that money be better served investing in marketing to grow your business or in a new team member and i think that in business debt is often more acceptable than personal yes so personally personally we rack up debt on credit cards it's typically consumer spending other than mortgages um when it comes to business debt can be desirable and in fact some businesses prefer debt yes some major businesses prefer debt funding to equity funding because of the cost of it so yeah it's, it's it's a real tricky balance getting the right pot of cash for a business and making mm-hmm. sure that you're motivated to grow and able to grow, but yet I've got that comfort blanket. But the worst possible thing you can do is to treat the business bank account like a personal bank account and run it to redline. Absolutely. And this is, you know, these are, these are the things, this is the advisory stuff that we can teach if we are doing putting this into action ourselves in our own business because we know it works. And um, Absolutely. Yeah, Exactly. And so, yeah, 
looking at and checking that we have a cash flow forecast so we know that we're okay if i've got a cash flow forecast and everything's okay and it shows that i've got going to have excess at some point exactly that in business i want to look and say okay and i've done it actually this week okay i need to invest actually in there's there's some more help and assistance in administrative tasks mm. and you know that the lower level stuff that we i need um i'm gonna gonna spend some money because that will then free up everyone else in the chain and that means i can carry on doing what i love best which is marketing and um and selling the services but you know if we're making a bit too much money it means that i want to grow my problem is at the moment like listening to you talk about dnt and where it is at you know i i struggle to figure out at the moment my goal is happy and content that's where i want to be because yeah. i was made in april 19 i want to feel secure and happy and content but i'm very quickly approaching that <laughs> so now i'm thinking oh what's the next thing and um and I, I need to start thinking about that dreaming section that you spoke about earlier it's so it, yeah so the dream plan do review was designed for new businesses but actually it's a cyclical process because the review stage should highlight deficiencies in your dream and look, i had this personally so at the age of 29 i'd achieved all the goals i'd written in a little notebook um and i didn't realize i'd written them in a notebook until i found it about a year afterwards where i was midway through a divorce and um all sorts of problems in my life i was in a very dark place and I didn't realise that that was probably triggered by the fact that I'd hit my goals, but not reset new goals. Um, you know, it's, and the goals were typical um, 22 year old goals, to be honest. So Range Rover and all of this stuff did them. Um, um, they felt at the time when I wrote them down, they felt really out there. But they over the years, they just became more and more achievable. Um but yeah, you do need to constantly refresh that dream, refresh that vision and um, make sure that it keeps you energized enough to get out of bed and do it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So this is it. It's not a, a one off deal. You don't make your dream and uh, and then get there and just sit there because that's boring. And you, like you say, things will start going a bit wrong because you've got not got the next focus. And we always need to have that focus. Completely. Been... Look, if, if Apple, if Apple stuck with their dream then we'd yeah. still be listening to iPods and we wouldn't have an iPhone. Absolutely. Not the new iPhone 12. That Apparently, my mm. daughter told me this morning that I, I promised her that when an iPhone 12 came out, then she could have one because apparently it was so far from she remembers it. I was like, I don't think so, but yeah. Well, you said it, Joe. I know. Talk about a good salesperson, you know, and this is it. Kids, kids are really good at this. So, Carl, it's been absolute pleasure talking to you today. Um, but I'm not going to take up any more of your time. We've been on. I know we could go on for hours, and maybe we will have you back again another time to have another yeah, chat. Yeah, of course. Honestly, I'd be delighted to. I know our I know our bookkeepers are absolutely going to uh, going to love you, and so I'm sure they're going to want to hear more from you. So, but how can we find out more about Bossit? Where is it available? Okay, sure. So I'm I'm quite visible on social media. So at Carl Reed on all platforms. Um, yeah, fairly easily found Instagram, um, TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, all the usual suspects. Uh, the book is on http colon forward slash forward slash Carl C A R L dot T O forward slash book. It's also at W H Smith's Blackwells and most of the uh, normal bookshops. Excellent, excellent, and. Um... Is it on Amazon? Yes, it is. Yep. Yeah. So that link that I gave is the direct link to the Amazon page. 
Excellent. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much. And um, I, as I say, I'm, I'm obviously going to be getting the book. I do tell everyone to read The E-Myth and I know it's out of date. So I'm so glad we've got a new option. You can tell everyone to read Bosset. It's a it's a fantastic it's a fantastic tool that um, for 10 quid, you can give it to your clients. They can read through it and then come to you with the questions. And that's when you can really add value on top. Brilliant. Love it. It's our own advisory tool. So that's brilliant. Thank you so much, Carl. So thank you everyone for listening today. Um, this will be going out on iTunes. And as we said at the beginning, if you're not already in our Six Figure Bookkeepers Club on Facebook, please join us. We'd love to see you in there. And uh, we'll be back next week with another podcast. Thank you ever so much. Thanks, Joe. Bye-bye.